this is the third week of my sermon series on God's greatest gift to us, which is grace. And today I want us to shift our perspective a little bit. The first two weeks of this series, uh, we've been thinking more vertically as we think about God's grace coming down to us. Uh, Today and also next week, I want us to start thinking horizontally, thinking about the grace that we can and should be giving to each other. And to get us started today, I want to begin by making a simple statement that I believe is just indisputable. People nowadays are starved for grace. And why wouldn't they be? We live in a very, very graceless culture. If you watch the news, you already know this. There's really never been a time that I can remember where people have so openly and aggressively attacked each other, uh, verbally, of course, but also physically. As I was researching this message, I found countless cell phone videos online that show real incidents of innocent people being screamed at, attacked, punched, beaten in public places simply because of their political beliefs. And when I say innocent people, I'm talking about people who are minding their own business. I'm talking about people who are eating in a restaurant or getting on or off an elevator or walking down the street with their families. I was actually going to capture uh, a couple of those videos and show them to you this morning to reinforce my point, but honestly, I couldn't find one that wasn't laced with profanity on the part of the attackers always. And so I decided I I just couldn't show those videos. I also found videos of police officers being cursed at, having rocks thrown at them, having buckets of water poured over their heads while people stand around laughing, mocking them, uh, videoing them with their phones as they're being humiliated. I found statistics which indicate a dramatic increases, dramatic increases in anti-Semitic activity and other types of hate crimes. In fact, the Southern Poverty Law Center estimates that right now about 250,000 Americans per year are the victims of a hate crime. And most hate crimes are are not reported. And none of what I I've mentioned so far just takes into account the general rudeness and lack of courtesy that is so much worse than it used to be in our culture. I mean, you can set aside the crimes. The crimes are horrible. But if you just think about the non-criminal behavior, the rudeness of people nowadays, it's incredible. We all encounter it on the roads, I know. But there's also, uh, I mean, just any place where there's a delay or a long line or maybe a piece of meat that isn't cooked properly in a restaurant, you will find people being angry and rude. You can talk to any server who works in a restaurant, and they will tell you epic stories of the unkind things, the rude, obnoxious things that customers say to them. I have a friend who used to work in one of the Disney hotels in the area of customer service, and he tells um, incredible stories about Uh, verbal abuse and and threats uh, from customers who just didn't seem to be happy about one thing or another in the hotel. 
And then you think about social media. Incredibly hateful and, and hurtful things are said on all kinds of social media platforms. In fact, um, I read on Twitter recently, uh, or about Twitter recently, that they have suspended uh, 70 million accounts because of inappropriate or hateful tweets. 70 million accounts because of inappropriate or hateful tweets in just three months. And the popular thing now, if you don't like somebody, is to go back into that person's social media past, maybe five or ten years, and, and try to find something that he or she posted that was um, dumb or inappropriate, and then use that to try to make them look bad. This is also done uh, with high school yearbooks. Uh, anybody says, you know, hey, I'm going to run for office immediately. That person's political opponents will go back into that person's past to dig out their high school yearbook, maybe a book that's uh, uh, 30 or 40 years old, and try to find something in that yearbook, a picture or a quote or something that they can use um, uh, to bring out of the past and make that person look bad. And, and I could go on and on with this, but I think you get the idea. Our culture is absolutely saturated with hatefulness and, and rudeness. And it explains why so many people nowadays are just feeling beleaguered and why they are starved for grace. And the problem is that a lot of these people who are starved for grace don't have any idea where to find it. Now you might say, well, that's easy. Just go to church. Go to church where you can learn about grace and be around people who have experienced grace and people who understand grace. And you can be around people who, who love to give grace. And I know that sounds logical. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not that simple. I want to share with you this morning two important truths that the modern church really needs to wrestle with. Here's the first one. Grace is not always found where you would expect to find it. Look at this passage from Luke chapter 18. Jesus is speaking and he says, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Now, notice, first of all, that this little incident happens in the temple, which was their local house of worship. Now, you'd like to think that in any community, the one place you could go to find a little grace would be in the local house of worship, right? But this guy, who's a, a leader in the temple, he, he helps set the tone for worship in the temple because he's a Pharisee. He wasn't very gracious, was he? He was cocky. He was arrogant. He was judgmental. But he wasn't very gracious. So imagine if we had a first-time visitor here on a Sunday morning. Imagine that this person comes in to our church never been here before, 
doesn't know me, doesn't know any of you. This person maybe is in town on vacation and driving down the road and wants to find a church to go to and sees our church and says, I, I think I'll just go to that church. So the person comes in as a total stranger, sits down where you're sitting, and then Taylor gets up to lead our music. And she leads three songs, and then she prays, as she does every week. And she prays, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not a sinner like all these other people here. Can you imagine Taylor praying that prayer? But let's just say she did. And then let's say I get up to preach. Now let's make it Mike. Let's say Mike gets up to preach. And he says, now I want to encourage all you people this morning to be more like me. Because I'm not a sinner like you are. Now, our first time visitor, if he witnessed that, do you think he would walk out the door that day thinking, wow, this is such a grace-filled place. I don't think he did. And I think that's really Jesus' point in telling us about this Pharisee. I think he's telling us and showing us that grace is not always found where you would expect to find it. You expect to find grace at your local house of worship. I mean, Righteous, religious people, people who go to church are supposed to know about grace. We're supposed to understand grace. We're supposed to be channels through which grace can flow. But I'll tell you what, sometimes religious people are the least gracious people around. I'll never forget the time. We're going back about 15 years now. On a Sunday morning, I was standing right there by that door, right there after services one morning. And a lady stormed up to me. She was boiling mad. She was hot, angry. She stomped up to me and reported to me that her daughter, who was in the youth group, had been called a horrifyingly ugly name by another girl in the youth group. And I'm not going to tell you what that name was. Uh, it is just too ugly to use, to say and especially from a pulpit on Sunday morning. Um, but it was a name that would indicate that somebody has very loose morals. We'll just leave it at that. So this mother was angry, and she said, Mark, it is not right for my daughter to come to church and be called names by somebody else in the church. And I agreed with her. And I told her that I would look up the mother of the other girl and speak with her about this. And so I did. I, I walked around the church building looking for the girl's mother, and I found her. And I asked her to step with me into my office, and I closed the door. And I said, um, I heard that your daughter called this other girl in the youth group a name. And I said the words, because I didn't want there to be any confusion about what we were talking about. I said, is that true? Did she do that? And the girl's mother said, yes, she did. And I said, why would she do that? And the mother's exact words were, 
Because that's exactly what that girl is, the little tramp. That memory brings to mind a classic prayer that has been attributed to a little English girl. She prayed, Oh Lord, please make the bad people good and the good people nice. And that's really the problem, isn't it? Sometimes we good people, we moral people, we upstanding, God-fearing, church-going people just aren't very nice. We're too smug. We're too judgmental. We think we know everything. Sometimes we're so proud of ourselves for being right that we forget to be kind. I tell you, friends, some of the meanest people I have ever known I've met in church. Some of the most cutting remarks I've ever heard, I've heard in church. Some of the bitterest feuds I've ever witnessed, I've witnessed between people who would lift their communion cups out of the same tray. And we pay a terribly high price for this lack of grace in terms of the damage that is done to people. The Barna Group, which is a research organization that studies churches and their impact on culture, has determined, and listen listen to this, think about this, 37% of all the people who don't go to church, now get that in your head, 37% of all the people out there who don't go to church used to go to church, but they quit because they felt mistreated or abused by the church. Another survey they did determined that 80%, 80% of the people who currently attend church regularly have had at least one incident where they felt mistreated by someone in the church. One writer put it this way, and This is one of my favorite quotes. He said, if you want to be a good Christian, you need to have the mind of a student, the heart of a seeker, the hands of a servant, and the hide of a rhinoceros. And if that is true, shame on us. Shame on us. This is the first thing we have to wrestle with. We have to get a grip on this. We have to understand that grace is not always found where you would expect to find it. But here's the second, I think, equally important issue, truth. And that is that grace is often found where you would never expect to find it. Now, for this point, we're going to move from the temple. We were in the temple with the Pharisee. Now we're going to move from the temple across town to a private home but not just anybody's private home. We're going to the private home of a guy named Levi, whom we know better as Matthew, the writer of the first book of the New Testament, a disciple of Jesus. Before he was a disciple of Jesus, though, he was a tax collector. And if you know anything about tax collectors, you know that they were notoriously crooked. Um, They made themselves rich by overcharging people on their taxes and pocketing the surplus. 
And the bad thing was that there was nobody to hold them accountable because the Romans were in power at the time and the Romans didn't care what the tax collectors did. The Romans required each tax collector to turn in a certain amount of revenue. But once they turned that revenue in, they didn't care about anything else. If the uh, tax collectors wanted to charge more and overcharge people and pocket the difference for themselves, the Romans didn't care. So there was no accountability. The tax collectors were crooked, and everybody hated them. You would. You would. If they were stealing your money, you would hate the tax collectors. Well, you may remember that Jesus walked into Matthew's tax office one day and said, I want you to follow me. I want you to be my disciple. And the Bible says that Matthew got right up from his desk, right then and there, left everything behind, and walked out and became a, a disciple of Jesus. And what does that tell us? It tells us he must have been ready for a change. If he would get up immediately and walk away from everything, he must have been an unhappy so let me pick up the story. This is Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. It says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Now look at this. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So they're having a dinner party. All these crooks are going to be there. And Jesus and his disciples are invited. So it says, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I want you to focus on that question. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Remember, who's asking the question? It's the Pharisees. They're the leaders down at the local house of worship. So if we're going to give this question a graciousness rating, say from zero to ten, zero being no grace at all, and ten being just full of grace, what kind of rating would we give it? If you say anything other than zero, you are dead wrong. Somebody in the first service said a five. Where do you get five points of grace in that question? The question is, why does your teacher eat with such scum? There is no grace in that question. It gets a zero. And so here's what we learn, and it's crazy counterintuitive. I mean, you think this can't possibly be true, but it is. Are you ready? There was more grace to be found at Matthew's house full of of crooks and disreputable sinners than there was down at the local house of worship with the Pharisees. More grace at Matthew's house, full of disreputable sinners and crooks, than down at the local house of worship. Here's another question. How can that possibly be? How could that possibly happen? I think we can attribute it to three factors. Number one, in Matthew's house and among his friends, there was no religious complexity. 
no religious complexity. See, a big part of the problem with the Pharisees was that they made being good so incredibly difficult. They had so many rules, so many regulations, so many expectations that religion just became oppressively complicated. If you hang, hung out with the Pharisees, you had to be on your P's and Q's every second to make sure you didn't uh, uh, break one of these rules. Jesus, on the other hand, he just loved people. You know this when he met somebody and, and called them to be his disciple? He didn't whip out a list of rules and regulations and say, here, I want you to take a look at this book. Because you're going to be expected to live up to these. Never. You know what he said? Come follow me. Just hang out with me. Just watch me. Learn to do what I do. Friends, I've already written next week's sermon. And so I can tell you that what I'm about to say right now is the most important thing I'll say in all four weeks of this series. So listen. This is the most important part. The most wonderful thing about grace is that it is simple. It does not uh, involve lists of requirements. It does not involve rules and regulations. It does not involve a whole list of expectations that people put on you. And because it doesn't involve rules and regulations and requirements and expectations, it also doesn't involve failure and guilt. When I think about what was going on in Matthew's house that evening, I just picture guys sitting around talking. They think Jesus is like the most interesting guy they've ever met. They're enjoying talking to them. They're, they're having conversations. They're asking Jesus questions. And in that place that night, there were no religious rituals being carried out. There were no lectures being given. There was no shaming being done because of their lifestyles. There was no religious complexity in that place at all. And yet, the Spirit of God was working there in a powerful way. Listen to this quote from John Burke. He's a pastor. He said, it's not the visible but the invisible that needs attention. It's not candles, but community. Not art, but attitude. Not liturgy, but love that makes the difference in our broken world. That is so true. And that's what Jesus understood that the Pharisees didn't. They were all about liturgy and rules and regulations and expectations and getting everything right down to the tiniest detail. And that's one reason why there was more grace at Matthew's house full of sinners than there was down at the house of worship. The second reason why there was more grace at Matthew's house was because there were no condescending attitudes. Remember what the Pharisee said in the temple? We looked at him earlier. He said, I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everybody else. That's about as condescending as you can get to. But I guarantee you, there was nobody at Matthew's house that had that kind of attitude. They were all disreputable sinners. They were all crooks. They knew it. In fact, I don't think they would have even been there, and I'm sure they wouldn't have hung around if they had sensed that kind of attitude coming from Jesus and his disciples. 
Let me go back to a quote I gave you in week one of this series. It's from Donald Gray Barnhouse, a, a Bible scholar. He said, love that reaches up is called worship. Love that reaches out is called affection. And love that reaches down is called grace. But here's what you have to understand. There is some reaching down that isn't gracious. Because it's driven by pity. You know, sometimes we get that feeling of superiority going. We look at somebody whose life is all messed up and we say, oh, look at you, you're suffering. Oh, yes, I better help you. Let me tell you something. Broken people know the difference between love and pity. Maybe you don't know the difference. But broken people know the difference between love and pity. And we should never help people because we pity them. We should help people because we love them. And again, if you don't know the difference, that tells me you've probably never really been broken too badly. You talk to people who are broken, people whose lives are an absolute mess, people are hanging on by a thread, they can tell the difference between pity and love. It's another reason why there was more grace at Matthew's house, because there was, there was no arrogance there. There's no condescending attitude. And then the third reason why there was more grace at Matthew's house is the most obvious one of all. It's because Jesus was there. You know, Jesus wouldn't have been present in the home of a Pharisee, not because he wouldn't have gone, but because he wouldn't have been invited. The Pharisees hated Jesus. They were constantly badgering him with trick questions, following him around, trying to trip him up theologically, trying to get him to say something that wasn't quite right, something they could accuse him of and get him in trouble. Uh, every time Jesus was around the Pharisees, there was tension in the air. But at Matthew's house, it was different. For one thing, Jesus was invited there as an honored guest. Matthew's friends were happy to meet him. Again, I can picture them sitting around talking and asking Jesus questions, and, and he's answering their questions, and they're probably thinking, wow, this is really a cool guy. This is really an interesting guy. There was no tension there. Friends, listen, there's always going to be more grace in places where Jesus is present, where he is welcome as a guest of honor and not treated like an outsider. So here's my point this morning. Finding grace in this world is not as easy as you might think. Sometimes you don't find it where you expect to find it, and other times you do find it where you don't expect to find it. And that is tragic. Because, as we've seen, so many people in this world are starved for grace. They would love to be able to find a little grace. They don't know where to look. Sometimes where you expect it to be, it's not there. And other times, it is where you don't expect it to be. So here's the big question that we have to ask ourselves today. 
is this a place of grace? Is Poinciana Christian Church a place where people who are starved for grace can find it? In order to be able to answer this question in the affirmative, I think we've got to make sure of three things. Number one, we've got to make sure that we don't encumber people with a lot of religious complexity. We've got to keep the Christian life simple, like Jesus did. And not be loading people down with rules and regulations and expectations. We've got to keep it simple, like Jesus did. Number two, we've got to make sure we don't condescend to people. That we reach down to people because we love them and care about them and not because we pity them. And again, they can tell the difference. And then number three, we've got to make sure that Jesus is always welcome here. That he's not just a name on the outside of the building, but he's the honored guest inside the building, and even more than that, inside our heart. You know, sometimes I get so disappointed when I look around at churches. I see so many churches competing for things that I'm not even sure are all that important. I see churches trying to outgrow each other and outbuild each other and outfundraise each other and outprestige each other and outcampus each other. And I wonder what would happen if we just forgot about all that stuff and just tried to outgrace each other. How would that change the world? I don't know. I think the world needs more grace more than it needs more buildings. The one thing I know is this. The only church we can control is this one. So I invite you this morning to join me in trying to be the best person of grace you can possibly be so that together we can make sure Poinciana Christian Church is truly a place where grace can be found.